This is episode 9 of the Bad Religion Podcast for June 7, 2006. to the ninth episode of the Bad Religion Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike. Summer in the Northern Hemisphere is in full swing, so I hope you all have a chance to listen to this podcast at some exciting outdoor location, be it sipping lemonade in the darkest game arcade, or feeling the whistling wind on a calm summer night on the bright ship Humana, or maybe even somewhere on the wasted outskirts of an on-fire Los Angeles. Maybe some of you folks in Scandinavia and other chilly regions will be getting a little more warmth as the Earth's temperature gradually rises as we don't address Kyoto now. Anyways, the theme of today's episode is The New America, the album that is probably the least liked amongst the fans of the band. The album was the last of the band's epic trilogy, not to say that those three albums were the best they did, rather epic was the name of their European label, and after Brett rejoined the band, and the band essentially cast out everything from his departure except for a few songs off the Grey Race, its songs naturally received the least amount of playtime at their shows. So, in an attempt to bring back some interest in this album, I will be playing various live songs and b-sides from the album on today's episode. The first song today is the title track of the album. An interesting tidbit about this song is that the first two verses appeared on the series finale of Beverly Hills 90210. Or so I hear. I never watched that show. The song was also made into a video where these kids are playing with these action figures of the band. It's pretty weird. I'll link to it on the website, brpodcast.blogspot.com, in case you want to see it. The title track gets at two of the major themes of the album. First, it is a rather poppy song musically, as is the rest of the album. The woe-oes in the chorus have this level of poppiness that you couldn't find on the previous albums, except for maybe a few of the songs on No Substance. This doesn't necessarily make the song or the album bad, but it does make it a big departure from what the band usually produce, which is one of the reasons I think there is a general negative reaction towards the album. Lyrically, the song touches on the idea that the current direction of America is unsustainable, that there are great problems that are being insulated from the people by the politicians and the media, and that it will take some sort of enlightenment to wake up the new America. As you will soon see, these themes are repeated throughout the album. So, here is The New America, live from Berlin in 2000. Damn it! Oh, 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 oh,
Victories don't mean a thing that they don't rouse. We are just a marching toy extinction with blinders on our eyes, jeopardizing everything we've learned and come to realize. You call me wise, open your eyes, America. Oh, oh, gentle mass hysteria. To feel progressive moment, but like we take a pill, but never pay the price. We only build ourselves a beating poster of dying. Yeah, you can live in Stark's denial and mark me as your enemy, but I'm just a voice among the a brighter destiny to stay with me. We are the new America. Whoa, This is the new America. Whoa, whoa. We are the new America. Whoa, This is the new America. Once again, that was New America, live from Berlin in 2000. Up next is another song from the New America. It's a long way to the promised land. This version once again comes from the Berlin show in 2000. I'd like to say thanks for Aki, or Aki, for sending me this show and some other New America shows so that I'd have some good quality bootlegs to play on the show. As is the theme of New America songs, this song gets at the notion that things aren't good, but we can change, although it's going to be hard. Despite what the old America thinks, they are not living in the promised land, and to get there, one needs knowledge and enlightenment. Greg feels that we must not succumb to the easy answers, as these are nothing but false promises. Interestingly, there is a line in the song that is a callback to the worst song in No Control, The World Won't Stop Without You, when Greg says, And you bet your ass if you give it to them. In The World Won't Stop, there is a similar line, but you can bet your ass your free energy will dissipate. Anyways, here is It's a Long Way to the Promised Land. Here's another new song. This one's about a place that a lot of you want to go, but I don't know where the fuck it is. It's a long way to the promised land, so you better well know your way. There's a ship on the ocean and an albatross Who is trying to lead you astray It's a long way to the promised land If we work, we might find it here There's no substitute for enlightenment There's no reason 
Let's move on to this week's news. Gratham will be playing some more solo shows, this time on the West Coast. He added shows in Hollywood, San Diego, and San Francisco to the tour. Unlike the East Coast tours, it looks like Greg will be coming to these solo without the Weaker Thens. At the very least, I don't think that the Weaker Thens will perform on their own at the shows. They may show up in a backup band capacity. Dogbert at the BR page suggested that Mr. Brett ought to make an appearance at the Hollywood show to do a duet of Don't Pray On Me. Sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Graffin will also be playing a show in Chicago, and he will be appearing on a German television program that apparently is hosted by a very annoying 25-year-old woman, or so says Martin from the BR page. So you know how last week I said Graffin will be playing at Buffalo? Well, he's not. I guess he felt that he hadn't said fuck you to the city recently, so he had to announce a fake show there or something. On the bright side, at least his Sabres are winning. And once again, I will be attending the Philly show and hopefully bootlegging it, assuming that I don't get kicked out by security or something. After like four eBay auctions, I finally acquired a mini-disc player, so hopefully I should be able to get some decent sound quality from the show. There ought to be less moshing at this show, so that should help improve the sound quality as well. Once again, if anyone is going to that show, get in contact with me and we can meet up before or after it. You can even get your voice on the podcast. Yeah! Anyway... The first review of Cold as a Clay has been posted. It mentions how Greg Gaffin creates a snapshot of America and American life. In addition, Gaffin's voice totally lends itself to the creaky standards and old-world charm of bluegrass. Overall, I'd say it's a pretty positive review of the album, so I can't wait to hear it when it comes out. Not like I wouldn't buy it on its release date anyway. Also, with Cold as a Clay coming next month, Epitaph has seen it fit to release a track from that album for download. That song is titled Don't Be Afraid to Run, and it's one of the Graffin originals on the album. Fantastic the Pan actually had an interesting interpretation of the song, believing it to be a song supporting the campaign of Hillary Clinton, of all people. I guess to support it, the song is vaguely political and is in fact about a woman being afraid to run, perhaps due to her liaisons. I'll let you judge for yourself. Let's take a listen to that song now as we end the news section. There's no telling when that day 
each other on and still until we reach that auspicious liaison. Oh, darling, don't be afraid to run. Once again, that was Don't Be Afraid to Run, the first track off of Cold as a Clay, which will be released next month. Getting back to the new America, the next song that will be played is Believe It. This was actually co-written by Brett, despite the fact that he was not in the band at the time. He also played guitar in the song, which he apparently recorded in Los Angeles and sent to the band who was recording the album in Hawaii. This song, too, has a callback to an older Bad Religion song with the lyric, So turn out a light, a punk can't have a say. That, of course, may be referring back to Turn on the Light from Against the Grain. This song is actually fairly hard to grasp the meaning of. I read over the lyrics several times, and I still can't figure out exactly what Greg and Brett are getting at. Maybe You Better Believe It could refer to early critics of the band as being forced to believe it would certainly go against bad religion. That Turn Out the Light could possibly be another reference to resistance to the band, possibly people trying to stamp out their ideas. Certainly parts of the song are autobiographical, with the bands essentially forming on the wasted outskirts of Los Angeles. As this is a reconciliation song of sorts, it may even be about the pressure that Brett felt to get out of the band. But then again, Grasshopper at the Defining Bad Religion page seems to feel that the song is about being yourself. Personally, I don't really see that too much in the song, but to each his own. Anyways, here's the song live from the Darien Lake Show in New York in 2000.
Let's move into the listener interaction section. Last week, I started a new section where you guys had to guess a song from short clips. Turns out that the clips were a little too short and a little too hard, as a lot of people had trouble with them. Or not, Greg Graffin actually sent me an audio comment about the difficulty of last week's clips. Here's his response now. You piece of shit. You piece of shit. You piece of shit. Anyways, here's a recap of last week's clips. Number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. And number five. And now for the answers. Number one was the last few seconds of part four. Number two was part of All Good Soldiers. Number three was We're Only Gonna Die. Number four was part of the intro of Tiny Voices. And number five was part of a riff from The Quickening. The only person who sent in a correct answer was Nick, who was able to identify that the third clip was We're Only Gonna Die. Congratulations, Nick, on being the winner. Okay, so this week's clips will be a little easier. Here they are now. Number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. And number five. And in case you missed them, here are the clips again. Number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. And number five. Remember to send your answers to brpodcast at gmail.com. Let's now move on to another song from the New America. This is one of my favorites off of the album, You've Got a Chance. It embodies the general tone of the New America that we're living in a pretty disturbed society, but we as individuals can do something about it. I think it's no coincidence that this album came out right before the start of the new millennium with its theme of, we can make a change to how things have always been in this country and the world. Here's that song live from Berlin in 2000. You got a chance 
Let's move on to the interview section of the show. This week we have not one, but two interviews. However, the second interview is only available on the website, a special feature or director's cut, if you will. That's because the second interview is a video clip and a very strange video clip to boot. It comes from when the band visited Japan in 2000. They are doing an interview with some bilingual American for a Japanese TV station, and for some strange reason they're all in a classroom. Graffin is teaching and the rest of the band is in the class asking him questions. It's really pretty funny. But what's really weird is there's this guy dressed in a horse in the back of the class. If anyone speaks Japanese and knows what the hell is going on with that horse, send an email my way to brpodcast at gmail.com. Anyways, the interview that you will be hearing in a few moments is a phone interview that I conducted with the creator of the Great Star Wars Synchronicity Project. Basically, the creator of that site, James, is taking various albums and playing them at the same time as the original Star Wars movies to see if anything matches up, like Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and The Wizard of Oz. Last month, he did some Bad Religion albums, so I decided to have a chat with him about his findings. Here goes. First of all, thanks for uh, doing this interview. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for asking. Um, So, can you tell us a little bit about um, what your project entails? Uh, Yeah, um, it's called the Great Star Wars Synchronicity Project, and basically, uh, every day of the week, uh, Monday through Friday, I watch Star Wars while listening to a, a different uh, CD, see if anything, uh, you know, syncs up in any kind of way, kind of, kind of like how uh, Dark Side of the Moon and The Wizard of Oz famously syncs up. And uh, I've been doing it since uh, last November, wow. and I've uh, done about, yeah, I'm up to about, I've done about 111, uh, 111 experiments, I call them. So uh, have have you bought albums specifically for the purpose of uh, syncing them up, or are you just doing uh, CDs you own uh, for now? I, well, I have actually. Like I, you know, I I always thought I had a pretty big CD collection, so I started doing this and thinking about things that I wanted to try. Um, I've actually, I think I've only bought two so far specifically, just for uh, the project. Um, that was actually The Empire Strikes First. I had to go out and buy because. I was, uh, you know, I, I rely a lot on, uh, you know, friends of mine in, in the library, yeah. and uh, I, you know, I came down to like, uh, you know, a few hours before I planned on doing it, and I hadn't gotten a copy, so I said, oh, all right, I'll just go out and buy it, and uh, I got, I got a, I bought a Blondie CD last week, oh. but uh, yeah, generally I, you know, I use whatever I have or I just borrow stuff from people. Uh huh. Um. So. Um. What determines which of the uh, three films that you choose to uh, do the uh, project with? Well, uh, I, just, I decided just to do the, first, uh, the original three, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, uh, just because, you know, those are the ones I like the best. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it, I mean, this whole thing kind of started out as a lark because uh, uh, I actually, I've written a book uh, called Star Wars Ruined My Life, that's all about the Star Wars, like fan culture and growing up. You know, being so into it and all that, and 
my literary agent at the time said, you know, all these, you know, I'm showing it to these publishers and they like it, but the problem is, you know, you, you don't, you're not famous. You know, nobody really knows who you are because they don't want to, you know, put the money into it. So she said, well, if you start a blog, and I'm like, all right, I'll try that. And I really didn't know what, what I was going to do at first. And then, uh, I guess a few weeks into it, someone else on the internet had uh, posted something about how they had, they had tried to watch all six Star Wars movies at once, like on six TVs, <laughs> to, to see what would happen. And uh, it was really kind of freaky, and that's what kind of made me think, like, you know, back to the like, kind of Wizard of Oz, Dark Side of the Moon thing, like, thinking, like, I wonder if there's any, like, albums that sing up with Star Wars. And just, you know, as a joke, I tried uh, uh, La Fecha Sisto by White Zombie. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I thought maybe that'd be interesting. And, you know, surprisingly, there were 20 moments where stuff matched up. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And... You know, I was telling my friends about it and stuff, and one guy I know said, you know, he's like, oh, you know, there's, you know, that doesn't mean anything, you know, probably every album thinks up with every movie in one way or another. He's like, you could probably watch it, you know, watch Star Wars every day and listen to something, and it'll think up. And I said, hey, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> so, that's kind of how the whole thing got started. And I, yeah, I just, I do Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi, just, you know, the, the one I have them, and the ones I like the best, you know. They seem to be the most popular. I don't know. Do you, you just do it for uh, one of the films for each album, right? Um, yeah, like, uh, unless something really crazy happens. Like, uh, I, I, I mainly stick to Star Wars. I want I, I like to go sequentially. Like, the whole, like, kind of, like, there's 60, there's 60 moments in uh, the, the Dark Moon Wizard of Oz thing that sync up. And until I really, until I find an album that has that many moments with Star Wars, I'm, I'm going to concentrate on that. But, you know, occasionally, like next week, I'm doing uh, Empire Strikes Back all week with albums that came out in 1980. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, just because that seems like a thing that came out the same year, you know, maybe something will happen. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, what's been the uh, best one so far that um, the, the most uh, number of sync ups? Um, American Idiot by Green Day that had a 35 which I kind of I mean I kind of thought like you know I was kind of expecting something like that because you know yeah, it is like they're a rock opera or whatever yeah uh, but uh, and like right under that I think somewhere in the mid 20s is uh, The Chronic by Dr. Dre <laughs> that's like the, the runner up and that was kind of weird I was not expecting that so uh how did, how did the uh, Bad Religion one uh, albums that you uh, tested uh, fare up? Um, well, I did a I did a week of all California punk bands, and you know I have a Bad Religion CD, and I was like, well, you know, they're from California, why the hell not? And I was, you know, it was a gray race, and I was really surprised that you know there was about twenty one or twenty two moments where things synced up, and. Uh, you know that I I had emailed a couple bad religion websites about it, and uh, you know they sent it into like punknews.org or something. And suddenly, you know I had all these people come to my blog saying, "Oh, you should do this bad religion now. You should do this one." You know, so the next week I did um and did eighty to eighty-five all ages. Uh, gosh, I can't remember. Um, I think you did like but, software I was looking at and. Uh, 
Empire, and uh, I don't remember what that this one was. 85, All Ages. Yeah, yeah, so that was yeah. Um, I may have tried. I think I may have tried the. You know, what? I got the computer right here. I just look. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I and it's basically just whatever bad religion albums I could get my hands on. Uh, and like I said, I had to buy Vampire Strikes first. And of course, during that week, a lot of people are like, "Oh, you know, why didn't you try Generator? Why didn't you try this?" But you know. Uh, I did the, yeah, I did a 80 to 85, Suffer, All Ages, The Process of Belief, and The Empire Strikes First. Mm-hmm. And uh, nothing nothing really major happened with any of those. What, what was the um, best one? Was that uh, The Grey Race? Uh, yeah, The Grey Race is still the, the one bad religion out with the most things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but uh, yeah, everybody, the mo- I, I, I really, you know, people seem pretty hyped about doing the Empire Strikes first and the Empire Strikes back and was kind of let down and nothing really happened but you know I don't regret you know I don't regret buying the album it was, it was good I listened to it um but yeah on that topic um what I guess what's what's your favorite uh, Bad Religion album uh well I know it's probably not going to put me in a you know good graces with a lot of the hardcore fans but you know my favorite is and probably always will be the Fair Race this is the first one I heard and you know, it's just, I guess, it just has that stumbling block where it was the first one that really hit me and, like, nothing else really carries that same impact because I was, you know, I was 15, I was in high school, and it's yeah. just everything seemed really larger than life then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, 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 I appreciate their, you know, the other albums they've done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, what type of music, like, genres, uh, have, have there been any, like, trends of, like, certain genres of music being, uh, singing out the best? Uh, it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem that way. I'm looking here at the list of all the things that, like, the, the album that have the most strength. It seems pretty much just like, you know, straightforward rock music has the most. But then at the same time, I haven't had the opportunity to try a lot of, a lot of that, um, which is something I, I definitely want to do. Uh-huh. Um, you know, outside of that, I mean, I, you know, I mean, you can't, there's not really no point in trying so much like jazz or world music because that's just kind of stuff instrumental. Yeah. Um, you know, I, w- I definitely, I'd like to try a, like a week of Weird Al album something <laughs> like that. That's just, that seems like, you know, but yeah, for the most part, it's mostly, I mean, and it seems to make sense to stay in the, in the realm of rock because, you know, the whole Dark Side of the Moon thing, you know, that's, you know, the, I don't know, a lot of people cite like, oh, they say maybe it's some kind of weird you know, a satanic coincidence between uh, the Winter Divide. It just kind of seems to, you know, it seems like it, it seems like if there was an album that really matched up with Star Wars, well, it would probably be a rock album. Uh-huh. But you never know. I mean, I'm, you know, dude, I'd be willing to try just about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, you do it with the original versions of the film or the uh, modified versions of them? Uh, the original, the original versions. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of the the original non-altered versions, um, and you know, I do. I have the. Uh, I'm using the VHS tapes here, and I was, I was initially excited, like most people were, uh, last month when it was announced that the original unaltered versions would be coming out on DVD in September. But you know, now it turns out that they're just going to be like, like 
a bonus feature with a repackaging of the modified ones and they're not like the, the originals won't be like uh, restored at all or, or like, and they won't be uh, in like an anamorphic presentation. So basically just kind of getting like a real shoddy treatment and it kind of seems like, you know, yeah. it seems like they're kind of sticking it in the fans there. I think I actually uh, saw uh, recently, I was at someone's house, I had them on uh, the original trilogy on Laserdisc. I think that's still like one of the best ways to see yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. And see, that's the thing. That's why they're that's why they're taking like they're taking what they use for the laser disc and putting it on these DVDs. And it's kind of like, what's the point of putting it on DVD if it's not going to be like looking any better or anything? Yeah, you know. So, but whatever. That's just uh, my nitpicky thing. As yeah. long as my VCR still works and the case <laughs> aren't totally broken. Yeah, I'm impressed they managed this long. If you're watching them uh, every day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the VCR tried to eat Star Wars a couple times, uh, but I've become very good at uh, preparing like, you know, it used to be, you know, when I was a kid, if the VCR case got a little messed up, I'd just junk it and buy another one, but I've gotten pretty good at straightening uh, out, out the wrinkles and whatnot. Um, yeah, so uh, which of the films is your favorite, or you just kind of like them all? Uh, probably, probably the first Star Wars is definitely my favorite, I think. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't really. I, you know, I just probably just because it was the first, and uh, you know, it seems it kind of has a little bit of everything. Whereas, like, you know, Empire is really good, but it's kind of like the middle, middle act, you know, and kind of a lot of like, you know, uh, it just doesn't seem as like complete. And uh, you know, I like Return of the Jedi uh, a bit, but uh, you know, it's the original Star Wars is the first one. Yeah, that, that was always my favorite. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, um, are you, if, if you do find a uh, film that syncs up a lot, do you, are you, are you essentially just using it to, um, I guess, promote the book somewhat, or, like, what, what's your uh, plan? Like, that was the original intention, but this thing, I mean, the Star Wars, Project uh, it's kind of become a, a monster of its own. Um, that I was just uh, like writing up. Uh, I was writing up another book proposal last night to send to an agency. And I mean, now it's just, it's not just telling a separate thing. Like it's just this other thing that I do. Or you know, I mentioned like oh you know, and another way to promote the book would be the blog. But it's definitely it's certainly not the uh, not the main purpose of the blog. It's definitely the you know that's to find you know the one album. And like, you know, really examine it and explore this phenomenon of, you know, of albums that match up with movies. And even if I find, you know, if I find an album that syncs up with Star Wars, like, completely next month, and, you know, I quickly find, uh, you know, other albums for Empire and Jedi, you know, I, I probably won't stop. I'll probably, you know, maybe I'll buy the prequels and start doing them, or, you know, maybe I'll pick a whole new on the whole other movie entirely, and I don't know. It's kind of an interesting, fun thing to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting how just something that you kind of started as a whim has become this uh, big project. Yeah, you know, I mean, I usually, I mean, I, I got an hour or two after work usually, you know, and I, I'm not really, you know, not really in anything else. I don't really do much, so I rather than take a nap, which is, you know, keeps me occupied, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, that's all the questions I have. Um, Thanks again for doing the interview. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It's uh, you know, it's really it's an honor, and you know, it's cool to be part of a 
know, full of people thinking it's interesting, I you know. Mm-hmm. Alright, well, uh, good luck. I hope that you find a, um album that syncs up with the three films, and, or three albums that sync up with the three films in the future sometime. Well, thanks. Uh, right. You know, I'll talk to you later. In case you forgot, you're listening to the Bad Religion Podcast. Each Bad Religion is independently owned and operated. Some assembly required. Bad Religion, best band nobody's heard of. The best band never to win a major. <laughs> Once again, that was James from the Great Star Wars Synchronicity Project. I'll post a link to his blog at the site, brpodcast.blogspot.com. The Pretender section this week is one of my favorite Bad Religion covers out there. It's by a band called Simul Arco 96, which I believe is a Brazilian band, although I'm not positive. They do a great rendition of Don't Sell Me Sort, one of the best tracks off of The New America, or TNA if you want to use the funnier abbreviation. Anyways, here's Don't Sell Me Short by Simul Arco 96.
next song up is one of the odder songs on the New America, although it's no I Love My Computer. This song is The Hopeless Housewife. I can't quite figure out if this is a feminist song or if it is more just using the symbol of the housewife, someone trapped in this old American system, to express the themes of the album. Mike over at Defining Bad Religion seems to agree with the idea that Graffin is using the hopeless housewife to represent modern-day Americans, people that are being used by the system but don't really have a desire to change it. Tina727, however, sees the song as more of a call for action for the hopeless housewives of the world to rise up against the sexism placed on them. Personally, I lean a little bit more towards Mike's interpretation, but I can see both sides of it. The version that I will be playing apparently has a guest vocalist singing the Oh Me Oh Mys, although I'm not quite sure who is singing it. I also don't know the exact show that it was from, as my version comes from a file uploaded by Fabio to the Bad Religion Sharing Club, a club that I suggest that you all join. There's a link to it at the site. So, here is The Hopeless Housewife, live presumably from 2000. Let's go! of the Bad Religion podcast draws to a close. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. The first of the two outro songs this week is a B-side off of the New America called The Queen of the 21st Century, not to be confused with 21st Century Digital Boy. This song actually appeared on the Japanese version of the album, and in my opinion, it ought to have appeared on the American and European versions of the album. 
It's a bit of a departure from the band's usual work, as it's slower and the subject matter is not something you'd see on a typical Bad Religion album. The final song this week is another B-side off of The New America. This song is The Fast Life, which appeared on the European and Japanese versions of the album. The band actually played the song live at Hard Pop Days, making it the only B-side that I know of besides News from the Front that they played live. Actually, that's not true. They did do this rendition of The Dodo, a Grey Race B-side, at the Tuxedo Junction show. I see a whitehead man, he's got his eyes. Almost got you. This will be for them. I'd love to do The Dodo, but not enough people know what it is. But some people know what I'm is. Yep. Who says Bad Religion doesn't play B-sides live? Anyways, thanks once again for listening. I'll catch you guys in two weeks. From the time she could crawl, she was all draped in macrame. She was preened and redeemed in a church that tried to show the way. She was taught to never ask for more. They had no idea of what she had in store.
the fast life. It's all I've ever known. Go!